fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yeah, darn right it is. Welcome into the program. It's a Monday. Back at it ready for a whole nother week, man. Are you ready? Are you set? Let's go. As we are halfway through 2023, if you're working on some projects, you're halfway out of time already. Just throwing that out there. Put things into perspective a little bit. If you have summer plans, career plans, life plans, relationship plans for 2023, get on them. Whatever of your New Year's resolutions you made, you're halfway through the time to be able to make those happen. Just throwing that perspective out to you. And welcome into the show. Boy, it's a great day. It's a Monday broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, radio, TV, live streaming, and podcasting. However you watch or listen, we always love you and appreciate you very much. Your Millennial General reporting for duty. Before we go any further, programming note for you. If we pop for a minute, it's because here in the Wichita, Kansas area, we are getting some interesting storms, a little booming. Already had one quick little power flash. We'll see if we can continue on stably throughout the program the rest of the hour. Uh, It should be. I'm I'm overly confident. But, you know, hey, it's live radio. Weirder things have happened. So welcome into it. Phil Kirpin, he's the president of American Commitment. He'll be joining us at the bottom of the hour. We're going to talk post-COVID-19. We are now three years after the pandemic. Well, three years since the pandemic began. And what do we look like? How does the education system wrap up its 2023 uh, school year looking like now are we back on track with educating our youth of america and small business how are we looking now as well as we try to get more people back into the workforce with the covid 19 pandemic so we have that at the bottom of the hour speaking of the way the economy is going the recession the struggling economy post covid 19 uh you would think And this is maybe a new trend that the Democrats, the the government, just society has done, maybe because we want to put the blinders on. Not even completely blaming the government on this one. But there's a lot of times where if we can't solve an issue, we like to just make it cool and retro to where we just accept the new norm. If you can't fix the issue, then just make it cool to where we can all accept it. There's a headline from CNN about thousands of individuals living in RVs in Los Angeles. Now, I say that with the uh, with the mindset that now apparently it's the cool retro thing to sell your house and live out of an RV. I mean, just imagine the fascination. Travel the country, live wherever you want to, park your RV for a couple of weeks at a certain uh, RV park or some type of national forest or state forest or state park, and then travel to another one. Just travel the country, do whatever you want to do, live out your days on the road, and just be free, my friends, which honestly sounds kind of nice. I've told Mrs. Voice of Reason that I'd like to do that at some point. We could have a mobile radio studio and just broadcast wherever. Uh, We're broadcasting from Alaska today. If that's what I wanted to do, then by golly, we could make that happen. But uh, I think that this is a trend that they've tried to make cool and sexy because so many people are now doing it, not by choice, but because they've had to sell their homes during the last couple of years with the COVID-19 pandemic and the recessions that have hit and the real estate bubbles that have hit and more real estate bubbles that I'm assuming are going to come here relatively soon, especially if the Biden administration gets what they want with uh, subsidizing the at-risk home buyers by getting loans 
with the plan that you have because you have a good credit score and you're really efficient at paying your bills. You may not be rich, but you're at least uh, consistent in paying your bills and you pay things on a timely manner and you have a high credit score, then more than likely you need to subsidize and pay a fee on your mortgage to pay for somebody else to get their mortgage. And we've covered that on the program before, which leads into the upside down liberal gaslighting that we have to deal with on a daily basis. Day number, I've lost track of the upside down world that we live in. And while we've talked about it some on the show, I figured today was a good day to do it, to really talk about it a little bit more in depth. I was at a speaking engagement a couple of weeks ago here in the Wichita area, and the other speaker there was not as familiarized with the topic as, and I'm not familiarized by an expert by any means on the issue, but at least I was somewhat aware of it. But I realized that maybe this is an issue that's not getting as much of attention that needs to be, and the Biden mortgage plan falls right into it with you having to subsidize on a socialist program a mortgage for somebody else who is an at-risk home buyer, but then also trying to control just your finances in general. And that is the ESG movement that we're seeing right now, the ESG that's taking over corporations that will eventually be taking over our daily lives on how we can buy things, on what we can buy, on how much we're allowed to buy based on the government's quote-unquote social credit score that's launching through the corporations that they have an iron grip control on. Now, I say that in the sense that we're supposed to have a free market, laissez-faire capitalist society where we have the private entities and then we have the federal government. And the only, the only times constitutionally that the federal government is supposed to be intrusive into the private market is what the Constitution says, to lightly regulate commerce between states, to make sure like states are actually working together. And if there's a dispute from one state to another, we can challenge it with the parent that is supposedly the federal government that looks at it and makes a decision. And then they make sure that there's not a monopoly within the private market, dominating an entire industry. That's not the way things are working anymore. As you know, if you're a business owner in any way, shape, or form, that's not the way things are done. The way things are done now is that government controls all of it, and they're the monopoly. And they're the monopoly through grants and programs and subsidies to certain corporations that work hand in hand with them to get that benefit to where now they have become quote unquote too big to fail. And even if we as the consumer choose not to purchase their product, which number one is very difficult to do now because there's a very select few that pretty much dominate all of the retail and all of the products out there available to us in whatever industry we're looking at. But they also have very little competition because even if we choose not to purchase the product, then they just get a subsidy and a grant from the federal government and they continue on their operations, which is why we're seeing the quote-unquote woke movement from many corporations because they don't care anymore. And it's not the voice of the consumer or you and I that actually gets to make that decision. And it's all falling into a very structured system, a very structured form called ESG. Now, uh, for those that may not be aware, Andy, what the heck is ESG? ESG is the Environmental Social Governance System from the federal government, meaning that businesses that want to continue to do business in the nation, meaning mostly the larger corporations, the one on the stock exchange, the one that are getting uh, government contracts or government grants or that sort of thing, uh, they have to fall into an environmental, social, and governance mindset. The way they operate their business has to be on an environmental level. They have to be, quote-unquote, woke with their diversity and equity. And they have to have governance to enforce said um, diversity and equity. 
And in order to do that, it's essentially the new credit score from the government to the business to say, if you're going to operate, um, which falls right in line with the banks that are failing right now, we're going to consolidate the banking industry for the government to regulate it more because obviously that's going to solve everything. Remember, when something fails, government takes it over and all of a sudden it just starts working properly and it doesn't have any more issues. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. That's the theory, at least, from the super smart, at least elitist professors that are really, really stupid that are apparently telling us that they're really, really smart. And when they say that the government's going to take over it, then all of a sudden things are great. And there are no issues. These aren't the droids you're looking for, is what we get told now when we start questioning why things are actually wanting worse than what they were prior to the government actually consuming and regulating that industry. So the ESG, Environmental Social Governance. They have to be environmentally friendly and green. They have to be social with their equity and diversity. Again, we still question what equity actually means. And the governance to enforce both of those mindsets. And that credit score then goes to the federal government to decide whether they get a new loan, whether the banks get to continue to hold them, whether they get government contracts or federal contracts for some type of construction project per se, or whether they just get grants or any type of government funding for any type of project at all, or whether they get a bailout. And if not, then you're kind of over. You're done. Benito. And if that's the case, a social credit score has then officially come into the United States through not the consumers like China has done to the people, but through the back door, through the companies. Now, the question is, Andy, how do we fight something like this? Well, we fight it by saying, well, we're not going to support said business that goes down this road. And luckily, states have begun to push back a little bit by starting lawsuits saying that they are not going to uh, invest as state governments going to invest in these corporations that are going down this road as well. But now the Biden administration is calling the Supreme Court to drop some of these lawsuits saying, no, 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 you're not allowed to challenge something like this, and now they're going after you, the consumer, through the politicians. There's a headline out of Politico right now, an opinion piece, going after Ron DeSantis. Now, we've talked about Ron DeSantis and his attack and his ongoing war with Disney down in the state of Florida, and if you've listened to this program by any stretch of the imagination, I've said that he's doing the right thing, but he's doing it for the wrong reasons. And as conservatives, we have to be very careful not to go down the extreme opposite end of the aisle, imposing our will as much as they're wanting to impose their will onto society. They're going down the road with the wokeness, with the LGBTQ-ness, with the uh, whatever else, equity and diversity, whatever the hell that's supposed to mean nowadays. They're going down the road enforcing it upon society, and they're doing it through these corporations, they're doing it through these marketing schemes, and they're doing it through the federal government. And as conservatives... We have to be careful not to impose our will the opposite direction and just as much of an extreme saying, no, no, you will read the Bible every day. You will only accept only two genders. I mean, we have to allow it as more the libertarian flavor of we don't want you to impose your will here. If you believe it on a personal level, all the power to you. But we have to keep the market free to impose punishments on a corporation should not be because a corporation can really do whatever the hell they want to. But him getting rid of some of the perks for Disney is good because it should have been done a long time ago because Disney never should have had those perks in the state of Florida anyways. 
aka being able to essentially run as their own government entity because it's such a large corporation, owning the land that's underneath them and essentially running themselves as their own little country with their own board of directors and their own quote-unquote government as the corporation of Disney. That should have never happened in the first place. So it's good that Ron DeSantis is doing what he's doing against Disney, but he should have done it a long time ago and not just because of the wokeness. If a business chooses to go woke, the and I use the woke in the ear quotes here on the terms of what they're trying to do with this progressive movement, the only repercussion that should happen is you and I, the consumer, saying, uh-uh, we're not going to buy it any longer. We're not going to support it. We're not going to buy their product. And we're going to let everybody else know about their product as well and why we're not going to purchase them and support them financially to where they're forced to make a decision to either go out of business or to make some drastic changes. And as conservatives, we have to be wary of that. But what he's doing on this culture war has now rattled the cage of the progressives on the ESG front because what Disney's doing, what Target's doing, what Kohl's is doing, what Bud Light is doing is trying to up their credit score with the government with their ESG. And it's working enough with us doing the rebellion front because now Politico is running a story saying Ron DeSantis is going to be the worst financial advisor for any American public consumer. And we got to take a break here, so we'll read some of this when we come back. But they're already going after the politicians that are focusing on this issue because they're saying, hey, this is the future. This is going to happen. And unless you get on board with it, you could financially ruin yourself as an individual, as a family, as a government entity, or as a corporation. If you're going against this ESG movement, naughty, naughty, because you're going to be behind the times and you won't get as many... Uh, financial gains in the future. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason. With Andy Hoosier. So I've said it many times before on the program in the past, there are just a few ways to be able to control the masses in a very large um, a large range. There's a very good way for you to run a campaign is you have to have a good PR team and you have to have a lot of money. And that's what the left does. They have a very good PR team, meaning the entire mainstream media, and they have a lot of money, an endless amount of money that they can just throw at it to promote these certain messages including like esg which for some reason a lot of people are actually on board with thinking it's great we get to do this environmental thing we get to make businesses cleaner with the with the social credit score with the equity and diversity and everything else that they're trying to push right now uh and right now it's an option that businesses get to jump onto, but it's an option kind of like how when you were doing the two days in high school playing football and your coach was like yeah school hasn't started yet so it's not mandatory but if you want to play this year then you have to show up it's not mandatory but Let's just say that you don't get to play a whole lot this year unless you show up to these two-a-days the week before school actually starts. It's not mandatory, but we're going to make sure that uh, you know what I'm saying here. Hint, hint, wink, wink. That's what the government's doing with this ESG. It's not mandatory for you to sign up for the ESG, but let's just say that if you don't sign up and start promoting the ESG agenda as a corporation, as a business, then, well, you're probably not going to get a lot of government grants. You're probably not going to be able to take out some loans from the bank. You're probably not going to get a whole lot of federal contracts. You're just not going to get a lot of goodies to keep you functioning in today's 
quasi-socialist uh, economy where nothing is actually purely in the private market any longer. But we are scaring them. And here's the positive news, because you know me. I'm the eternal positive optimist kind of guy. I always like to see the glass half full, no matter what. There's always an opportunity to fix things. According to Fastit Company, which is a left-wing website blog-ish kind of thing, ESG is under attack, and here's what we can do to stop it. ESG's under attack. The anti-ESG movement, which by most accounts kicked off in 2021 with Texas legislation aiming at protecting oil and gas companies, is gaining ground. And an in-depth report by Clint Rainey and Fast Company shows the lawmakers and lobbyists who oppose ESG's shorthand for environmental, social, and governance factors used by executives and investors to measure a company's impact are deeply pocketed and sophisticated. I want to... This is where... We really have the upside-down world right now. In a normal world, a movement by businesses, corporations, in a collective manner, with the forefront of the government kind of heading this up for a social credit score for businesses to say, you don't have to do this, but if you do, if you are going to be a business, then I highly recommend you do this, hint, hint, wink, wink, or else. Strong-arming corporations into either getting on board with this or be shut down and be scrutinized in the market. That would be persuasion, right? You could almost label that as almost uh, terrorism in the sense that by the definition of terrorism, that you blackmail or threaten somebody economically, financially, or personally unless you bend to their political will. By that definition, that's kind of what's going on here in a little bit more of a lighter tone of it. Let's just say mobster-like. Let's put it that way. They're strong-arming the economy. In a normal world, we would call that out and say, wow, you guys are really trying to strong-arm businesses on how they operate. You're really consuming and telling them how to operate. You're taking control of the business by default by telling them how they have to operate or else they're not allowed to operate in the nation. But in the upside-down world that we live in, those that are opposing the ESG movement, what they're calling the anti-ESG movement, is gaining popularity, is gaining money, and is deep-pocketed and extremely sophisticated, according to this one. So now, we're the problem for fighting back. You're supposed to go along with progress, according to them, go along with the progress. And if you challenge it, you're the problem. You're the one causing the havoc. You're the one that's the conspiratorial type. You're sophisticated in your agenda in sabotaging what we're doing here. How dare you go after our agenda the back-ended world that we live in today we're now the problem messing with their system that we're all supposed to just jump on board with happily and go along with this government this control the voice of reason with andy hoosier when reason meets radio this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. So, being the eternal optimist that I am, as you know on this program, always finding the light side, it is fun to watch them squirm a little bit, especially on this ESG issue to where now they're saying how we're the corruptors, we're the sophisticated cabal behind the scenes trying to disrupt the system <laughs> as 
That's literally what they're doing with the entire economy, trying to promote some type of ESG agenda on corporations right now. And corporations going along with it, either because either they want to, because they have people running it that have that political persuasion, or because they're forced to do so, because, again, if they don't, then they won't have that high social credit score with the federal government. And then, are they going to be able to survive? No. A lot. So we're now the rebels, I guess, in the system, if you want to look at it in the Star Wars sense. We're the rebels trying to fight back against the Empire on that front. Uh, but the Politico article came out as well. Don't take financial advice from Ron DeSantis with his ongoing, quote-unquote, culture war in the state of Florida because of, well, he's trying to fight back against that. Cor- let corporations – see, I thought, and maybe I was wrong here, but I thought, according to progressives, I thought the corporations – were the evil ones. Remember, they they were always the ones telling us, corporations are evil, man. Corporations are running the world. Now, if you fight back against a corporation making a bad decision, you're the problem. And you just hate the movement that they're doing because the corporation's just trying to survive and just bring light to a really big issue like the LGBTQ or Dylan Mulvaney or whatever else with Bud Light. They're now in the right, and we're the ones wrong. This is such a weird, upside-down world. The corporations are the evil, man. Until now, all the corporations, dude, they really care about LGBTQ issues. It's very strange, and uh, I'm telling you, something switched. I think this switched happened when we jumped into a parallel universe after uh, 2012. What do you think? What was that? December 21st of 2012? I think we jumped into an alternate universe, or when they turned on CERN like a couple weeks ago, or a month ago, a year ago, whenever the hell that was, uh, I think we jumped timelines, because now... The other side that hated the corporations are all about how great these woke corporations are, and you're the problem. You are the sophisticated, rebellious group if you're fighting against the ESG movement. Very weird. Very weird. All right, let's get into it. What's trending today? To talk about some of that and more, maybe that relates to what we're going into now. How does the economy look, and what's the difference between now and post or the pre-COVID-19? Small businesses, the education system. What's being taught, the priorities in society, what has changed, and are we almost quote-unquote back on track after the COVID-19 pandemic? Really happy to have this guy back on the program, as he's been on many times before. We love having him on, president of American Commitment, which you can find online at AmericanCommitment.org. Mr. Phil Kirpin on the line with us here. Phil, how are you, my friend? I'm all right, Andy. Hey. How are you? Yeah, doing great. It's great to have you on here. Uh, before we shift here, any thoughts on the ESG? I know that I've been saying it's probably one of the most dangerous movements that we have today that could can completely bring in and introduce a social credit score to the American people through the crony capitalism going on today. Uh, and now if we try to fight back against businesses investing in ESG, where are the problems? It's kind of a weird world out there, isn't it? Yeah, it's a massive problem, and uh, the left is now deploying capital to accomplish a lot of objectives they could never accomplish through the political system, and uh, there's a coordinated effort here. The big pension funds led by New York and California have been the tip of the spear, but of course, you know, once you have the pension funds, then they can use the leverage of the billions that they manage to get the investment companies on board, and once you've got the investment companies on board, now every corporation has to snap to it when they say, you know, what they want to see, because they steer all the mutual funds and so forth. You know, I just saw in Barron's uh, a couple of days ago that 60% of S&P 500 companies include ESG measures in their executive compensation programs, which is to say the CEO gets millions more dollars if they get a high ESG score. <laughs> so it, there's no surprise yet, right? Remember when the left was against that? Against CEOs making exorbitant 
compensation. Now they get extra if they push all the left-wing ESG stuff. They get extra bonuses. Uh, the, the CEO of Chipotle got an extra $2.1 million last year for meeting their climate goal. Wow. Okay, they sell burritos. Okay, <laughs> this compensation should be about climate goals, but uh, that's how pervasive this is. And uh, frankly, almost every major investment company out there is pursuing these ESG objectives and voting for ESG proxy measures. And if people want to see if their money is being deployed towards this whole crazy left-wing agenda, uh, the other group that I work with, uh, with Steve Moore and Steve Forbes in our lab, called Committee to Unleash Prosperity, has a website at pensionpolitics.com, and you can see a scorecard of you know which investment companies are the worst on this stuff. And uh, if the one that you use has a bad score, maybe you ought to call them and tell them to straighten out their behavior or maybe think about switching to a different one. But you've, you've definitely identified one of the major, major challenges we have right now, which is the, the, the left now is the man in this country. They are the, they control capital and uh, therefore they can advance their agenda. And, you know, there's sort of the top two priorities of that agenda are the climate change stuff and the LGBTQ. And yep. that's the, those are their top two priorities. They've hit right at the heart of a lot of emotional issues for a lot of individuals that's making really their emotional decisions in society based on those two issues. The weird part is, which feeds right into how we're looking economically post-COVID-19, is that this ESG movement, uh, surprisingly, not surprisingly, came directly after the COVID-19 pandemic when the economy was shut down, when the world was shut down. After we heard all these progressives talk about this, quote unquote, great reset in the economy, the great reset in society on what COVID was going to be, that social experiment. And as we start reviving ourselves and trying to get back on track, this is when all of it falls down. Coincidence? I I don't know. Do you think there's a correlation there? Well, um, you know, it's not a conspiracy theory if the people who are doing all these things meet together in Davos, Switzerland, and say that this is what they're going to do. It's a conspiracy <laughs> fact, not a conspiracy theory. And uh, I do think that this is the direction that, you know, global elites look at what happened during COVID, and they said, oh, this is great. This is the test run for climate and all the other left-wing social engineering we can put in place, and the people will impose pressure on each other to accomplish these objectives, and COVID was really the template for that. There's a thing on the World Economic Forum website. There's like a, it's not a secret. It's on their website that basically they say, you know, COVID was the trial run for climate. And so the social pressure campaigns were going to build around that. And so, look, I think a lot of this uh, was sort of a, you know, I don't think they had some grand master plan or anything, but they certainly uh, have been exploiting the fact that so much of the global economy was shut down and people were more dependent on government than ever. And uh, they're, Pushing this, you know, not just through you know legislation and regulation, but definitely through the through the investment system. Yeah, well, they definitely took advantage of the situation, which is what I think when they literally wrote the books on the Great Reset. I think that's what they were going for, and this is the way for and them to build, take control. Build back better, and remember, remember every single one of them said build back better. You remember those creepy videos of every single world leader using the same words. Yeah, that is very true. Boy, that's a scary thought because the building back is building up a certain way for sure. How are we as we've gone now three years into the pandemic and most of the regulations, most of the mandates are all over, not just in the country, but around the world. How are we looking? Are small businesses back on track? Because from what I'm hearing, while Joe Biden apparently has brought 10 million people into new jobs, we still have a massive job shortage for entry-level positions for the retail industry, for the hospitality industry. Those are still struggling, and we can't find jobs, although Joe Biden's created 10 million jobs in the economy. 
Well, we still have a lot of displacement in the economy, and we've got, uh, you know, we've got a lot of businesses that are suffering with a labor shortage, and we've got a lot of help finance signs up because we've got, we still have a lot of people in public assistance. We still have, a, uh, you know, the problem of uh, not enough people to fill a lot of jobs, but at the same time, uh, we also have a lot of people that haven't been able to find work, and there have been a lot of businesses that went out of business and never quite came back, and so. Uh, you know, about half the states uh, have higher employment than before the pandemic. The other half don't. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, how aggressive they were in terms of the lockdown measures. Yeah, that is very true. On the other side, educational front, uh, we just wrapped up the 2023 year. We're now a couple years, at least a year back that's fully back into the classroom after the remote learning where the studies that I've seen, we've seen major losses, almost an entire year's worth of education lost because of the pandemic and the remote learning that just wasn't as efficient, wasn't as well as what we are when we're actually sitting in the classroom. Uh, are we playing catch up or are we just accepting that we've just eaten an entire year of a child's life to where now they're going to be a year behind on their education? Where are we at now? Well, uh, the the remote school, the, the Zoom school, was worth somewhere between half to zero of normal school, which is to say if a kid was remote for a full year, they're, one, they're happy six months to a year behind, uh, in, depending on the kid. And some have been able to catch up. Look, some places only had the two months blown out at the end of 2019, 2020. Other places had a full year blown out. So there's huge regional variation on this. But the one thing we see pretty consistently is the longer the closures were, uh, the further behind kids are. And uh, in some places, have done a pretty good job catching them up. Uh, of all places, Mississippi seems to have done a pretty good job catching kids up, which is interesting because historically they've been very poor in defensive metrics. Uh, but one of the things I'm really worried about is I think there are a lot of kids that are just never going to catch up. And, uh, you know, we've got as many as 250,000 kids whose whereabouts are totally unknown in this country. That was a study Stanford University did with the Associated Press. If you take the drop in known public school enrollment and you subtract the increase in private school and the known increase in homeschooling, you got an you got a residual 250,000 kids. No one knows where they are or what they're doing. That's pretty scary. Yeah. And they're going to start to surface in really negative ways with crime or drugs or, you know, who knows what they're getting into. But um, that that's a major concern. And, you know, frankly, some kids are going to, who otherwise would have graduated from high school now won't as a consequence of this. That has lifetime implications for their income, for their life expectancy, everything else. Um, and, you know, we're going to try to catch up as many as we can, but unfortunately, I don't I don't think they all will. Yeah, that is true. Phil, we got to take a hard break here. Can you stick over one more segment with us? Uh, sure. Fantastic. I want to continue this on. Also, I want to try and tie the two issues together with small business and with the education of the children. Many states now, because of the worker shortage going on, have signed laws, Iowa being the latest one that I, I saw at least, that are extending the work down to 14- and 15-year-olds, being able to work some more hours trying to fill those voids in the workforce. Good idea, bad idea. I want to pick your brain and get your thoughts on that one as we move through trying to get this economy back on track. But Joe Biden created 10 million jobs, man. I thought we were all back on track. What the hell? With Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. I'm so glad it's Monday. Greatest day of the entire week. Let's carpe diem all over this place, baby. we got so much to talk about throughout this week. It's going to be bigly. It's going to be great. 
It's going to be outstanding. What, is, what does Donald Trump say? And I think we're going to make it big league. <laughs> That's what we do here on the program. Welcome into it. Last few minutes of the show. We're talking ESG. We're talking the post-COVID economy. We're talking the Great Reset, small businesses, education. Let's tie all of them together, shall we? Let's mix them into a big melting pot here as we wrap up the program and put a bow on this one. We're talking with Phil Kirpin, American Commitment. AmericanCommitment.org is the website. Phil, many states, Iowa, I believe being the latest one, signing laws allowing 14 and 15-year-olds to work longer hours and to work in certain industries that they were not able to before because of the ongoing shortage. Joe Biden said he created 10 million jobs, which I would think, I mean, I didn't think that we had that many job openings, but apparently we do, or he grew the economy so good that we're still short on workers. But your thought, is this going to be the the end all? Is this going to save the economy or help us? Or what's your thoughts on making younger kids work longer hours? Well, look, I mean, I think that uh, we definitely saw an acceleration of older people who are maybe a few years from retirement saying, I'm going to go ahead and retire now rather than deal with, you know, masks and temperature checks and whatever nonsense was going on during COVID. So there was, a, there was sort of an acceleration of the demographic changes in labor force. Uh, so that's part of it. Uh, but also, I think that uh, we've got a lot of people who never came back because they were getting $1,000 a week on unemployment and they got used to not working and then maybe they got some doctor to write whatever so they could get disability and we've seen those rules well. And so there are a lot of ways that the labor force has shrunk. I think sort of separate from that is this question of should we be encouraging uh, you know, high school kids to have part-time jobs and that kind of thing and summer jobs. And I, I think, yeah, I think it's a good thing. I, I'm very much in favor of that. I think there's no substitute for work experience and learning, you know, to show up on time and listen to a box is in many ways more valuable than the things you learn at school. And uh, I think that we've moved so far away from that for most kids, uh, really, uh, to forget from that. So I think the way that the Democrats and the media have tried to make this, you know, some horrible, like, uh, you know, equivalent to make, you know, little kids work, this kind of thing, I think, like, uh, you know, teenagers work in a variety of jobs is prob- probably a good thing on that. Yeah, the uh, media hysteria was kind of funny watching this. How we're going to send kids back down to the coal mines again, kind of thing. I mean, this is uh, <laughs> that's that's. Although, you know, ironically, there are, ironically there are little kids working the cobalt mines in the Congo, which are used for electric vehicles, and they don't seem to have any problem with that. They're going to mandate we all switch to those. That's a great point. That's a great point. And they're okay with that one, which is why we need more windmills and more solar panels that use silver, which means we need to be able to get that stuff from those mines over in the Congo. So they're totally okay with that as long as it's not the uh, – uh, and what group was trying to say that we need more equity and diversity? Oh, that's right. Uh, last question as we wrap up here in the last minute or so, Phil. Uh, but are we getting at least back to somewhat normal? And the, the regulations that we've seen, the massive increase in regulations from the government on the economy – is there a way to fight back on those? Because it seems like to me every time the government grows, we never get to bring it back down again. And I'm fearing that we're in a larger state of a quasi-socialist nation than we've ever been in before. Well, the House has actually voted this week on my favorite bill uh, that's sort of a structural reform to deal with kind of the out-of-control regulatory state. I think we've talked about it before on the show. It's called the RAINS Act, and this is the bill that would actually prohibit any economically significant new regulation unless it got affirmative congressional approval from both the House and the Senate. I think if we could ever get that accomplished, it would go such a long way toward solving all of these problems, not because we'd never have dumb regulations again, because God knows Congress does lots of dumb things, but because at least if you had one, you could look up who voted for it and hold them accountable come election time. And we really don't have that now. 
uh, with a system where the bureaucrats control all the power and Congress just keeps passing broad, vague laws to punt the responsibility to someone else. And so uh, in 2016, uh, my group was able to get every Republican presidential candidate to pledge that they would sign that law. Uh, we're going to do that again this time. And of course, you know, we have, we've never been able to get it out of the Senate, uh, but we're going to keep trying because I think that uh, until we can get that or something like it, we're going to continue to have this problem. And so uh, they, that's a House vote to watch this week, not because we're going to get it through this current Senate, but because it puts another marker down for where I think we need to get. That's right. Puts them on the record for voting it and supporting it or not supporting it. I'm telling you, the eternal optimist always fighting the good fight, which is what you guys do, AmericanCommitment.org. Go and check out the website. Phil Kirpin, president of the organization. Phil, always good to talk to you, my friend. Let's get you back on the show again here real soon, brother. All right. Have a good one, You as well. Always a pleasure. There it is. A lot of great information and a great breakdown of how the economy is going right now. We will persist. We will be those rebels. We will continue to fight the empire of Darth Vader. If Darth Vader was Joe Biden and he could remember himself, although I'm sure he breathes really healthy like that. So I guess there is a correlation. Have to think on that one. That does it for us today. Podcast up in a little bit. Be your own catalyst for change in your own local community. It's time for you to speak up, speak out, speak loud, speak proud, speak the truth, and always speak some reason. This is The Voice Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.